0: We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at CreekwoodUMC or our website CreekwoodUMC.org for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. I want to read our scripture passage.
1: It comes from Matthew chapter 14. You'll see it on the screen. It's the end of the story where they have... Um, They have seen Jesus start to walk on the water. It's in this misty, foggy, unideal conditions to see Jesus. And they think he's a ghost. Um, So verse 28 picks this up. and says, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he, Jesus, said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You have little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of God for all of God's people. Let us say, thanks be to God. So as you're driving from where I live, um, you pass several new developments going by, and there's constantly a construction site. And this morning, for some reason, I think it's a God thing, took me back to this experience I had on the first time I ever worked on a Habitat for Humanity build house. Um, and I got to go, or, you know, showed up at the beginning of the build. And when you show up at the beginning of the build, there's, I mean, there's nothing but trailers with tools and building supplies and a slab that is largely, you know, ready to go uh, on the ground. And you show up there, and there's a whole bunch of people, and you do big pomp and circumstance to um, kind of dedicate the process, start to dedicate the house, you know, invite God into the moment, and, and get to know the homeowner a little bit. So it was a really moving experience. I'd never been a part of this before, and I'm really excited that this mom with um, two middle school kids is going to get her own house. She's worked very hard for this. Um, and so during the process, we are um, starting to hammer things, and I go up next to her and just think, okay, as the pastor of the church, I should get to know her and introduce myself. And so I go over, and I introduce myself, and she goes, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Have you ever built a house before? I said, oh, no, this is my first time. And she said, why are you building my house then? (laughs) And I was like, well, that's a fair point, I suppose. And um, So I said, well, have you ever built a house before? And she goes, no, it's my first time. And I was like, well, why are you building a house then? Um, And she said, because I have two kids that I want to sleep in the same place night after night. I thought that was just the most poignant why answer for why she was engaged in this. Because getting approved for a Habitat house is not like you walk up to a counter and someone hands you a Habitat house. You have to have an economic plan and some kind of sust- uh, sustainability to, uh, to be able to afford that house or to pay back a little bit of the loan as it goes on over course. There's no interest involved, but you pay back the loan. You have to show up every Saturday to work on the house. And you have to have just a whole lot of faith that A, people like me are going to build a house that will last for a long time, but B, you show up to a slab and someone tells you, not just there's going to be a house there, but there's going to be security and hope and promise. And for those who are applying for Habitat houses, that's not something that they always see. I was really impressed with this woman's faith as faith is defined in Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Her being able to picture not just a house, but a life and a future, hope for her children to have a stable place to come and do their homework at night and to graduate high school and go to college. These were dreams that didn't exist for her when she were growing up, but she had worked so hard to get to this point. And you have to wonder what it is that Compels somebody, or what it is that drives somebody to get out of the boat and step through the massive amount of hard work that they have to do, the massive amount of uncertainty that they have to muddle through, in order to reach that goal. How do you see something that you don't know exists? How do you envision something that you can't see? And we've been looking at kind of the states of matter as a metaphor in this story of walking on water. And we can all see solids because the atoms are so closely bonded together that they, even though you are sitting on something that's moving right now, it's so closely knit together that it, you can see it. But as, you know, liquid becomes translucent or transparent because uh, heat is introduced to it. So think of when you introduce a chocolate to a microwave or put a marshmallow in a microwave, what happens? <sighs> right? What happens if you put too much heat into a marshmallow? You're cleaning up the microwave for three weeks afterward. So when you introduce heat into a system, it dissipates the atoms. They start to spread out. Well, they also become where you can't see it as well. Things start to melt in that way. Introduce even more heat, energy, chaos into the situation. And all of a sudden, you get the air that's around us right now. We can't see it necessarily because it is just a gas that is going around us. So how do we take all of this that we can't see and imagine and bring it back to something that is solid ground? Will you do the opposite? If introducing heat into something causes more chaos, you've ever heard the expression, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen? People have emotional breakdowns when it's too hard, when there's too many big waves, when the boat is too small. What happens when you take heat out of the equation? When you take heat out of the equation, there's no such thing as cold in physics. There's just an absence of heat. So you take heat out of the equation, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, water vapor turns to water. And water turns to ice. It goes through. Well, there's a process called deposition. That if this ghost of Jesus that they're seeing, this gas, this ethereal concept even of Jesus. I think this is something we do in Christianity in 21st century is Jesus or Christianity. Jesus is just this kind of conceptual figure that might have existed. And and even if we say he did exist, we just look at this conceptual ethereal ethic of Jesus instead of the real life Jesus who's walking on the water. And deposition is when the temperature drops so much, enough heat is taken out of the system that a gas turns straight from a a gas to a solid. And so, like, as it's getting closer to wintertime and it's warm enough during the day, but at night the temperature drops so much, and what do you have on your lawn when you walk outside? you got frost. you got crystallized. All of a sudden you can see what you could not see before because you've taken heat out of the system. You've taken chaos out of the system. And this is where we start to get where we can start to see the solid that exists in an ever-changing, ever-flowing world. Now, if we go from the physics classroom down the street to the, down the hall to the counselor in elementary school, I remember our counselor always used to talk about um, setting goals, that when you set goals, you can start to see what you might not be able to see. Setting goals helps you achieve those things you believe you want to happen. And there were the long-term goals and the short-term goals. And the long-term goals are the things that are way off, like the house that you possibly cannot see. And then there were the short-term goals that were designed to help you get there. But what I experience and what I have experienced in watching people is that the short-term goal ends up becoming the entire reason that we forget about the why, we forget about the long-term goal, and we're just focusing on the short-term goal. And so um, running a marathon, right? Running a marathon, nobody just wants to run a marathon unless they're totally into it. You run a marathon because you're over 40 and you want to prove you can still do it. Um, You run a marathon because you want to get in shape and be healthy, right? You run a a marathon because you're competitive and you want to beat other people or you have a, a larger goal that you want to make it to the new york marathon so you can compete against the best right there's always a bigger why in there but uh, or, or losing weight for example you don't lose weight just to lose that five pounds you lose weight to have good blood pressure and a healthy lifestyles so you can and even beyond just the healthy factors so that you can live for your kids you can live for your spouse right there are bigger whys involved long term but what we tend to focus on is we get so enamored with, I've just got to lose that five pounds, or I've just got to run one mile and lose sight of the why. And what I found happens when we lose sight of the why and we take our eyes off of the bigger prize is it tends to look like this. Very, yeah, somebody's got compassion in here. The rest of y'all are laughing. I did that as a test to see how empathetic you all are. I'm glad to know America's Funniest Home Video still has a place in society. I mean, when we take our eyes off of a larger prize and we're only focusing on the short-term goals, we tend to run into walls or we tend to sink. That's when, um, it, it, this is when Peter in the story is, you know, I'm just so amazed at the faithfulness he has. Everybody else sees a ghost. And, and Peter kind of says, he hears J- Jesus calling. In verse 26, Jesus answers and says, I am. It's me. But he uses I am. And it's the same, it's a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew that Moses Moses hears from the burning bush, that God speaks to the burning bush in Exodus, where Moses says, well, who are you? And the burning bush, God, says, I am. And it's where we get that word Yahweh. The the sacred name of God in, in Hebrew is Yahweh. And it's I am and I will be. It's I am and I always will be. I am here and I always will be here. And so, Peter hears this I am and has enough conviction to say, well, if it's really you, call me, bring me out of this situation, call me. And there's a, there's a lot of theology in there of we don't act, God calls and we respond. God is the one with the perfect vision, the perfect ideal, and so we respond to God's perfection. And so Jesus is off in the distance and calls Peter, and Peter, without hesitation, jumps out of the boat onto a bunch of waves, onto this high windy thing. And the thing is, is for a little while, he's able to go. For a little while he's able to walk on water. He is able to break the laws of physics because he is, has such a dedication to this vision. Now what I think he has that inspires him to get out of the, of the, uh, of the boat is, is not just faith, but it's an experience of grace. And grace can do powerful things. I think Peter has remembered and and he's seen the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus took compassion on those 5,000 people. And so, yes, there was the miracle of turning uh, five loaves and two fishes into a feeding of 5,000 or more people, but it was also the compassion and the empathy that Jesus had for that big crowd, where he could have left them by themselves. He chose to handle that problem, because in God's kingdom, we don't leave people behind. Right? He's already seen that Jesus has been willing to go engage with people with leprosy or skin disease. That everybody else said, well, you're unclean. You're not invited into the community. Go out there so we don't have to deal with you and we don't suffer what you're suffering. And Jesus was the one who was willing to go and grab them by the hand and touch their eyes and put his hands on their ears and on their eyes and all, you know, on them so that they not only could be healed of what was affecting them, but they would be allowed to come back into the community. They would be accepted again. I think Peter has this vision of what the world could be like if we truly walk in the footsteps of the very real living Christ who very really touched people and invited them back into belonging and back into love so that they knew that they had something to offer to God. And Peter is captivated by that. And I don't, we don't know anything about Peter's history. We don't know if he had been perhaps ostracized. We know he was not the elite of the elite because then he would have been a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a priest or something like that. Peter was... know a fisherman and so we know he wasn't the elite of the elite so did he see a world in which someone like him might belong to something larger and something more grand or was it simply his compassion that he saw this immense moment of grace and he was struck by this of saying i want to be a part of something better and larger than i have before i was in ministry with a gentleman his name was brian and um brian has this you know i I don't ever want us to lean on like we don't all have to have amazing conversion stories or anything like that but brian would have called himself a christian and um brian was um he he started work during a time and i think the term is company man i guess this is what i've heard but you know he started work with a company and and it was at a time where you finished work and then you went out with the guys afterward and so brian went to work and then he went out with the guys what do you do when you go out with the guys after work you go to happy hour. And what do you do at happy hour? Well, you start pounding down beers. And so Brian started socially drinking. He had drank in college a little bit, but he started socially drinking. And he, you know, got competitive and he would drink with the guys and try and go a little bit farther. Well, somewhere in the process of this, he met his wife. And they got married. And and Brian's kind of heat level, his stress level with work, with marriage, with everything started rising a little bit. And, And not only did he start drinking... Um, with the guys but he started drinking after that when he was home and at night and eventually that turned into like i'm gonna have some secret beers at lunchtime and eventually it turned into well i drank so much the night before i'm just gonna drink in the morning and you know that seems to be some kind of weird cure and so much so well when you're in a marriage with somebody who's an alcoholic who drinks too much it usually doesn't go well for you and it didn't and the stress rose from that even more. And what did Brian do? He found the only solid thing he could hold in his hand, and it was more of a bottle. And so he just drank more and more. And, and somehow in this whole process, they had their first child. And so they have a baby, which adds more stress and more change and more waves. And, and so one day he's, you know, he's got the baby. He's got his son. And he's walking him around at two in the morning, like you may have done in your life. And It's just a stressful time, and it's a frustrated time, and he's just constantly, you know, thinking, why in the world am I even in this? I don't want to be in this. Lost complete sight of why he got married, why he had the baby, and just lays the baby down, goes and grabs a handle of whiskey, which I have never had, but I am told it is strong. And he finishes it. He goes into the bathroom and completely passes out, nails his head on the toilet seat on the way down, completely out for the rest of the night. And he says during this time that there was this just bright light that came into his life. And this voice that says, are you about done yet? And he wakes up in the hospital. It's been like, I mean, hours. Wakes up in the hospital and the first thing he sees is his wife's face. And it's this kind of melting of just tears that start flowing of recognizing what he had done to her. How he had gotten so far away from the solid ground that he had desired to have, and so into this, he didn't even know where he was. He was just floating throughout her space, but somehow his wife's face, and then he claims it was a bright light, but the doctor claims it was the medical light you know, behind his wife's face. There's the aura of this angel there, and the first thing he says he thought is, why is she still here? And then she drives him home, and they see you know, his baby for the first time, and he's just and distraught about what he's done to this baby and you know brian had tried to stop drinking before this and every time it was i am going to stop drinking to stop drinking and so it was well i'm not going to drink this bottle right you got to start small you got to start small that's necessary in achieving long-term goals too so he would look at the bottle and he would always try to defeat that bottle but the bottle doesn't hold any meaning to him at all so he would eventually succumb and he would go for the next bottle and he couldn't withstand that one he looked at his son that day and then he walked and he you know, was hungry. He walked to the fridge and opened up for the food. Well, there was the Budweiser that's just sitting right there along with other kinds of alcohol around the house. You know, that, that temptation never leaves. The waves don't start crashing. Even if you're sitting on a solid, the atoms are still moving. So Brian starts to reach for the bottle and just something kind of supernaturally his son's eyes come into his picture and he takes it and he twists it off and he just pours it out and he does the next one he starts pouring it out eventually he just gets rid of all of it Brian hadn't had a drink since because Brian stopped trying to defeat a bottle, and he stopped trying to make it from bottle to bottle, but instead he had a longer vision of the goodness of life and the love that he was meant to share, the love he was meant to experience. Someone asked him, are you done sinking yet? Are you done here? Cry out to me for help, and I will pick you up. And it was Jesus in this moment that lifted him up. And I think this is my favorite part of the story when Peter is striking out in faith. He's experienced grace, he's walking in faith, and we tend to just we tend to assume that when God is in our lives, everything will be great. If we strike out in faith, everything will be great. I mean, people who look at—like, Mother Teresa is a really good example. Uh, Mother Teresa, um, everybody assumes, just had this, like, really deep faith that—and she worked with the people who were suffering in India that no one else would touch, the untouchables in that caste system. And, um, Everyone just, I mean, she's been beatified. I mean, she's sainted by the Catholic Church. Everyone assumes that she just had this incredibly strong faith to be able to do that. But in her autobiography, she talks about this dark night of the soul that lasted for two-thirds of her ministry career. That for two-thirds of her ministry career, she doubted whether God existed or not because she saw the suffering that was around her. But this long-term vision that Jesus had painted of a room that was prepared for each and every one of these people, a long-term vision that the mother with two kids had a room prepared for her and needed some good news at the end, this long-term vision of a world in which Revelation paints where all those people with leprosy and all the blind and lame, there are no more tears or fears or struggles in the world. And she was so captivated by that that even amongst her doubts and even amongst her own fears, she kept going because that vision drove her. That solid vision that Jesus painted drove her amongst the waves so she could handle the ebbs and flows and the changes of life to where she could keep doing ministry that changed the world, that changed a lot of individual people's lives, at least. And gave us an example of what it means to be compassionate with even the least of these. What I love that Peter does in the midst of walking on water is he feels this strong wind, and we've all been there. We all have some goal. We all have some measurement. You're here on some level because you're at least somewhat intrigued by the story of Jesus. You're at least somewhat captivated by this world with no tears and no fears and no pain that's painted that Jesus will bring in resurrection. We're at least captivated by this idea of eternal life, that death is not the end of things, but life continues on because we've seen Jesus resurrect in an actual bodily form. Like on some level, we've been going this way, but then, you know, we lose our job or we have a bad day or we lose a friend or, you know, some kind of catastrophe happens and it's a strong wind and all of a sudden we just think, oh, I've got to get through the day. Some of us, it's not even a catastrophe that happens. Some of you, it's just Tuesday and you're trying to make it to seven different children's events in the same hour. Because we have created a society of heat and pressure where we have to be the best and do everything. And those waves and those winds are self-imposed of all of the heat upon us to be able to survive, and we can't see the long-term vision of why. And Peter experiences this strong wind blow, and he remembers he's not on solid ground. He remembers that everything is moving. But what do we do sometimes when we're scared? We retreat inward. We protect what's ours. We do whatever it takes to protect ours. What does Peter do when he's scared? He says, Lord, help me. This is the response of a faithful person. And I want you to hear that if you get in a situation where you don't have complete control and you are doubting God's existence or you are just wondering what it is around you, you are not an unfaithful person. It's giving you an opportunity to once again reach out and say, Lord, help me, because what's Jesus' response? He runs over there and immediately picks Peter up. And, and one thing that is confusing as some parts of the Bible are, the thing that exists from Genesis to Revelation is that whenever God's people cry out, God shows up, God responds. And it may not be a burning bush or a whirlwind or a talking donkey or all of the other things that God shows up that seem this crazy supernatural in the Bible. Often it's what we talked about the first week in those signs of the fruits of the Spirit where, the, where your best friend calls you at the right time. Or your kid just says something outlandishly graceful and loving to you, and it's just the right moment. When God's people reach out, when people reach out, because God loves all people, God responds to help us along on this long-term vision of what the world looks like when we claim an actual Jesus who had actual footsteps that we get to actually follow towards a greater world than we know today a longer vision, a longer term, something that we don't know what it looks like right now, but Jesus has painted a picture. And this is one of the reasons why we're taking all of the elementary school kids through the Bible pretty intricately. It's one of the reasons why we're organizing student ministries, family ministries. We're doing adult discipleship over dinner on Wednesday nights with fast-track disciple Bible study, leaning into the Bible, because especially around the person of Jesus— If it's not just an ethic and a concept, but especially around the person of Jesus, there has been a tangible, physical, solid form of what grace epitomized looks like, what love in solid form looks like, what it means to be God's person on this earth. We have something to look towards, and it it may seem long off for some of us, either personally or just the way the world looks. It may seem a long way off. And that's okay, there's short term goals there's little things we can do along the way as long as we keep that vision ahead of us so that when the wind blows whatever controversy catastrophe happens we don't get blown from this side to this side trying to figure out who's right and who's gonna win in this little moment right here we make sure that the victory still goes to Jesus who has claimed victory in and of himself The woman from the habitat house it was cool i didn't go to every build on every saturday one time didn't permit me to do so and two nobody really wanted me there um for my building skills Um, but as you know the pastor of the church i got to go to the dedication at the end which if you think the beginning is emotional the end is super emotional where you know part of the dedication is they hand the keys and like they've locked the door somehow or another and Um, she gets to unlock the door for the first time. And I remember when she talked about her two kids having a place to sleep in the same place every night again, and she opened the door, and her two kids just ran straight in there, and they were yelling, my room, right? Like every kid does when they get moved to a new house. And they were claiming their their three-bedroom house. They were claiming what was going to be their room, and the mother is just in tears, and so are the rest of us. Because it wasn't abstract anymore. It was how we saw faith become something we could see. And I'll tell you, the joy of those two kids and that mother led me personally to see a little bit more. And what I pray is, if we are in a world that we will constantly be changing, we will constantly be in the ebb and flow, there will never not be a time when you do not have a strong wind or a wave crash upon you. What I want to invite you to is a vision of more, a vision that we see, I would say, only in the actual person of Jesus, and to keep that as that true north on a rough sea so that we can stay solid of who we want to be and why we make the decisions that we do to bring about the world that God has told us can happen. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the spirit that is amongst us. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and the eye of our hearts that even though it seems this ethereal gas around us, that when we see the acts of generosity and kindness, we know your presence is here. As you are said, that you are here and you will be here. And so as we leave this place, God, I pray that um, our eyes would be open to see just the, the numerous ways in which you continue to show up and continue to push us to um, a greater and better and more generous and just and peaceful world. And that when we feel like we are retreating because the waves and the wind are too strong for us, that we might cry out for you in faith that you will always pick us up. You will always respond in love to draw us further out into the waters to where one day maybe we might even walk on the waters in solid faith too. So God, it's in gratitude that we worship today that you continue to call us, continue to use us, and continue to show us that no matter what waves may come, that there will always be solid ground in your loving kindness senior we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at CreekwoodUMC and our website, CreekwoodUMC.org for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.